Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, today's episode is all about four essential steps to listen to your midlife body better. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. This blows me away every time I think about it. (laughs) So good. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I am so glad to be here with you again. Seriously, I really am. So if you're new or if you're a regular, I'm just thrilled that somehow the podcast universe brought us together. So the topic I want to coach you on today is the concept of listening to your midlife body better. I've got four essential steps to talk to you about too, but we're going to do a little bit of talking about why you might even be missing the most important aspect of becoming a better listener. And if you're anything like me, it might surprise you. So we are going in. But just quick, before I get into that, if you want to make sure that your 50th and 60th birthdays are as awesome as they can be, You really have to focus on getting unstuck and clear about your priorities, my friend. You have to. I created a new fun workshop to help you do just that. Actually, because it's more than a workshop, I'm calling it a fun shop. (laughs) These fun shops are the best way to give yourself the gift of turning 50 or 60. And more than that, they'll help you design the life you want and find you're happy. And there's a huge bonus when you join the party. You can bring a friend for free. So if you're turning 50 or 60 soon or had your birthday recently, join us. This fun shop's for you. Head over to www.giftof50.com or www.giftof60.com and sign up now. Okay, let's dive into this topic of listening to your midlife body better. Now, as usual, it's probably no surprise that my own midlife shenanigans gave me the insight about what to share with you on this podcast. It turns out that until very recently, I haven't been a great listener to my midlife body. Listening is one of those things that comes up a lot in the Women in the Middle Academy, actually, because notice what you have to do when you listen. You have to slow down. And my friend, you're not very good at that. (laughs) So I want to start with what's been going on with me, and then we'll take a close look at what I think are the four essential steps to listen to your midlife body better. Okay. Fair warning, there might be a little TMI here and there in this episode, but I think it's important enough to share. So I hope that you agree. (laughs) In the last year, I've discovered that I have something going on with dairy. Now, I have never had any food issues, allergies, or sensitivities, but now there's definitely something going on. After my body started screaming at me, or here's where the TMI comes into play, creating a digestive problem that bordered on an embarrassing explosion, (laughs) that was just, it was absolutely impossible to miss. So sorry about that, but I think you get it. I finally woke up, but let me take you back a few decades before we explore this more. So what I just noted, that it took my body screaming at me or the reality of this situation bonking me on the head for me to realize this seems to be a pattern for me. And I wonder if it's a pattern for you. This situation with dairy was a bit of a wake-up call, not just for lactose and whatever else might be going on, 
but for this whole issue of being oblivious to the mind, body, and now food connection. It got me thinking, what else over the years has been similar in that my body freaked out and it took me some time to notice and put the puzzle pieces together? By the way, you know that I would love for you to think about your own life and how this has shown up for you too as I share these stories with you. So let's start with anxiety, shall we? (laughs) As you know from being in my community and perhaps in other mindfulness types of communities, anxiety is a feeling and it comes from a thought. Sometimes it's easier for you to notice the feeling and then remember that you're thinking something that's creating the feeling that you're feeling. And sometimes you're better at noticing the thought that you're thinking that's creating the anxiety. Whichever way it typically plays out for you, it's so great to know that they're connected. Thoughts and feelings are connected and that thoughts create your feelings. Of course, you can tweak and change your thinking to create feelings that are more useful for you. Okay, so way back when I first noticed a whack of anxiety in my life, I had no clue about this stuff. And the experience where I noticed it first was in grade 11, that's about 1980, and I played baritone sax in the jazz band. I was in heaven most of the time. It was such a big deal for me to have made it through in the audition, and I was offered to play Barry sax, which I thought was so cool. And I just love the sound, that low sound of that horn, and it's way lower, and I think way cooler than my alto sax, which is what I would usually play and what I've been playing since I was a kid, since I was about 10. Well, one of the songs we competed with was the song Spinning Wheel that you might be familiar with from Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Now, when you're in a band, you're playing an arrangement, like a version of the song that you might be familiar with, um, but it's not, you know, it's not the exact same thing. But I uh, went down a bit of a rabbit hole when I was working on preparing this episode. (laughs) This is why it takes me so long sometimes to do this. I went into YouTube and I was looking to see if my high school, the North Penn, Uh, North Penn High School in Pennsylvania, Lansdale, Pennsylvania, uh, was still performing that if there was a recording or YouTube or anything I could find. I did find evidence that they have played it once, but I couldn't find a recording like in recent years. Anyway, I kept looking to see if I could find a jazz band playing a version or a similar arrangement to what we competed with, and I found one. So I'm not going to hum it, (laughs) but I will put a link to it in the show notes. I was just tickled when I found it, and it really took me back. So a jazz band is a lot smaller than a marching band or a concert band. About 20 members when when we played. I don't know, now they might be a little bit bigger. I guess it depends on the school and the talent and all that. But anyway, when I was in a jazz band, it was about 20 people, and there were only two women. So it was me playing Barry Sax, and there was another woman named Lisa playing bass guitar. And we, like I said, were the only two girls And we had a bit of a feature right at the beginning. And it felt kind of like a solo, but we were playing together. Uh, And we competed with it. And every time we had a competition, I thought I was gonna die. Seriously. I, I was so nervous. And I always thought she must not be as nervous as me. <laughs> like, I was off the charts nervous. You know, back then we had to really dress up too. We had these blue, light blue tuxedo shirts and white pants and white shoes. It was really kind of funny the way our, uh, you know, our uniform was, our costume, whatever. Uh, But anyway, like I said, I thought I was going to die. So it was the best of times because I was playing Barry Sachs and I absolutely loved this song. And our band was 
good. We were really good. And I had a feature. And it was the worst of times because I actually thought I was going to die. Like it was, I was tortured by it. Um, but the thing is, I did well. I never messed it up. But the stress and anxiety was terrible. And the first time I really noticed anything like that before, I just chalked it up as kind of normal. Like when you have a performance, you get nervous. And that was that. That's how I chalked it up. Anyway, like I said, if you want to hear a recording that's very similar to the one I played, where you can hear that little Barry, uh, Barry and bass guitar uh, feature at the beginning, you can just go to the show notes and it'll be there. So like I was saying, I just chalked it up to getting nervous and that was that. But the same thing happened to me in university. In about the third year or so of undergrad, anxiety popped up again every time I had an exam or a midterm or a final, like some kind of an evaluation. Now, I never pulled all-nighters and I always gave myself plenty of time to study, but my anxiety was off the charts. Now, this was in the 80s, so there were no smartphones or laptops or anything like that. And I ended up in the washroom for hours and hours dealing with things, the TMI things. (laughs) It got so bad that I would just make study notes on index cards and I would put like a rubber band around them, a thick wad of index cards, maybe an inch or more thick. And I took them into the bathroom with me and I kind of just sat on the toilet and I felt like it was my office. (laughs) Like I had a stall. And I was studying and I was just where I needed to be to deal with my problem. Now, when I think back to that right now, oh, it was a small bathroom. One of my sons went to that university and lived in the residence where I was. And I went in the bathroom and I had that memory. And I think there were only two stalls. So it's not like I could hide. <laughs> it, was, it was really bad. Anyway, I was suspicious enough this time about my behavior and my situation because it didn't seem as quote unquote normal. And I saw a counselor. I went and saw a university uh, counselor and we explored my past history with test taking and that sort of thing and parental expectations and, you know, for grades and whatever. And I don't remember the details, but at that point, I didn't see a huge connection between the way my body was freaking out this time and with jazz band. And I knew nothing about mindfulness and opportunities to manage my thinking better. I was just, you know, humming along, dealing with my body freaking out. (laughs) So fast forward another few years, now in the 90s, and I found myself in several leadership type positions in my volunteer life. So what happened is, even though I was taking the job seriously and I was committed to it wholeheartedly and I was doing a, a really good job. I would always second guess myself. I would always question if I'd accidentally breached some aspect of the confidentiality somewhere, somehow. Like serious mind drama, I would go into massive spins and thought loops and worst case scenarios, creating a ton of anxiety. Yet every time I would check with a trusted confidant, a colleague, no such thing had happened. I hadn't done anything wrong. No bad effects. So when you look back at this lovely little pattern in the 80s and the 90s, it's easy to see that I was thinking something creating the anxious feeling in my body that resulted in hanging out in the bathroom quite a bit. (laughs) This type of pattern created a gastrointestinal result. And again, I apologize for TMI, but you'll soon see where this is going. In these cases, I knew I felt anxiety and I could easily understand the physical effect of my anxiety. I didn't really understand what actually caused it. Like most of us, I just assumed it was the situations that were causing my anxiety, 
and you've heard me talk about this here in the podcast, it's the circumstances or facts part of the equation that most of us believe causes how we're feeling, right? So it was the, uh, the competition or it was the test or it was, you know, uh, what I may have said in, uh, about those leadership positions or something that came up in a meeting. That's what was causing the anxiety. But the other thing we know about all of this is that the circumstances or facts that I just mentioned, the situation in these cases, that is neutral. And what that means is that the events themselves, the spinning wheel solo, the exams in university, fear of doing something stupid in a leadership position that would result in a negative consequence, something like that. And it is a pretty common human emotion rearing its ugly head. And as my band director, Fred, used to say, stinking up the joint, (laughs) really stinking up the joint. There's a long term pattern going on here. Again, I didn't get all of this in context back then. I was listening to my body like a tree, not a forest. And we all know what happens when a tree falls in the forest. (laughs) Okay, so that's one scenario of listening to your body. And it's my experience. But there's another aspect to this that I want you to think about too. This is a little different. It's when your body is telling you something in terms of a physical sensation rather than an emotional feeling. Are you listening to this type of a signal? Is it easier for you to connect with or are you just as oblivious to the context of what's going on? Again, the reason I'm coaching you about this today is because of the extent to which I was oblivious when I put everything I'm sharing with you right now into context, I can see that there was a lot of thought errors and mind-body disconnection going on. I've had two significant physical sensations over the past 10 years where this was the case for me. And so I'm really curious what you, what you have to say about this when you reflect on all this kind of stuff and how it's playing out for you. So the first physical sensation I want to bring up is tennis elbow. Ah, yes, I was loving tennis. It was a new sport for me. I fell in love with it in high school, but never took lessons or played consistently. And then in my late 40s, early 50s, I was like, hey, I always loved tennis. Why not take it more seriously? So I joined a tennis club and I started taking lessons. I wore my orthotics in my tennis sneakers. I got a new racket and I was ready to go. Sure enough, it wasn't long before I developed tennis elbow and I was so bummed. I was like, come on, I finally found an exercise I liked, and now I'm having a problem. (laughs) And then something strange happened. I just decided I wasn't going to let it get me down or stop me. I got a brace, and I continued. It felt like I was more focused on my decision and playing tennis than the pain that I was in. I didn't go to the doctor. I didn't get a second opinion. I know it's not complex with tennis elbow. I don't know. Maybe it is. I really don't know anything about tennis elbow except what I did to handle it. (laughs) I just kept playing. Now, I suppose I could look at it as the power of my thinking, creating the result that I was getting because I sure felt determined. I really did. But now in hindsight, I think I probably should have had looked at the whole situation in a greater context. Like here I am, a non exerciser who started to do vigorous exercise. Seriously, tennis is like running on concrete with risks of falling. (laughs) Or I'm a tennis player, a new inexperienced tennis player who's about 50 years old. Maybe I should talk to a physio or a doctor or something. I I just treated it. I was just so determined to play that 
I can't even think of another time that I processed stuff exactly like that. There was a major disconnect there. And then something really big happened in the last year, something that has me really curious about my behavior over the years. And I mentioned it at the beginning, after more than 50 years of never having any food sensitivities or allergies, I have now developed some kind of a dairy problem or at least a lactose problem. I wonder how long things have been amiss with lactose. With the state of my disconnection and obliviousness, I really don't know. But last year, I had a bowl of cereal, which is rare. And soon after, I had a gastro problem and I didn't put anything together. Then we had this box of cereal sitting around. So a few weeks later, I had another bowl of cereal and then a second one in that same sitting. And my body started screaming at me, wondering what my problem was. (laughs) Apparently, I needed stronger clues. Um, and I, I couldn't miss this one. It was massive. So I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. I think I may have some sort of a food sensitivity to dairy or lactose or something. And now I know it's common in midlife postmenopause, but wow, I was so out of touch. I, I just, I have so many friends who are so in touch. And it was like I got whacked on the head. I got a big bonk. It was like, hello. It really got me thinking. What other food sensitivities, correlations, maybe even cause and effect situations are going on in my life that I'm missing the boat on? And then I couldn't help but think about something else that's related to not completely listening to your body, something you might be familiar with. It came up right away as I've started to be curious about this. It's when you overeat. Now, you know, nothing extreme, but just eating past the point of when you're actually satisfied. You might even think to yourself, oh, maybe I had enough or I'm not really hungry. This is something I've been aware of now more and more. Being more guided by what you're eating or finishing what's on your plate instead of listening to your body enough to notice when you're actually satisfied. So I have a kid who was offered a piece of cake once and he said, you know, I'm not hungry. And I was like, wow, you're not hungry and you're not going to have that piece of cake? thinking, I would at least have a bite. (laughs) And this happened, you know, in the last couple of years. So again, as I'm being curious and putting things together and looking for things that happened in the past, trying to understand what's going on with me, it was really easy to find a lot of these things. And I think you will have the same experience. I've given you lots of examples now. And there's, you know, you can look for the same clues. This is something that I've been aware of more and more. So there you have it. A walk through some examples and some embarrassing examples from my life (laughs) where I've noticed that I wasn't listening to my body as much or as well as I could have. I didn't have the whole context. So there's a lot more to look at related to the whole mind-body connection. Like again, to prepare for this episode, I, I did my share of surfing around And it's a massive amount of things that you can look at and consider far beyond the scope of this episode and probably the podcast. Maybe I'll have a guest about it. (laughs) But for this piece, the piece that is definitely part of the scope of this podcast, I just wanted to focus on the listening piece. You deciding on purpose to listen to your body. So are you the listening type? Let's just start there. Are you cool? with whispers? Or does your body need to actually 
yell at you to get your attention. I guess you could say that my lactose problem really helped me connect back with my body and listen better and harder. Kind of like hearing aids, actually. (laughs) So I wanted to share what I've learned with you so that you can also listen to your midlife body better than you have been. So here are four essential steps to become a better midlife body listener. Step number one is awareness. You actually have to increase your awareness of the importance of listening to your body like this, right? So you just have to even start there. Literally tune in to what you're physically feeling. Let your curiosity notice other things that might be going on to help you add to the context of your understanding. How aware are you about your body and what she's saying to you? Are you prepped to hear it? It's kind of like you're setting up the foundation and the foundation is awareness that listening to your body is important. Step number two is trust. Trust that your body is wise and has important things to share with you. Physical sensations could be signs to help you fuel yourself better, nourish yourself better, and basically be better. Trust is another way to set up your foundation of committing to and listening and to connect better. This totally came up for me with anxiety during all those years. And I just think, what would it have been like for me to understand all of it better and in context? Step number three, pause. You have to pause to notice thoughts, feelings, and sensations. Your physical sensations are one thing, but what you think about them is another. Are you going to minimize what your body is telling you because you're thinking that you want to power through and play tennis? which makes you feel determined, and then you blow through the pain? Is that what you want? See what I mean? You have to slow down and notice more. Do you think you're too busy to slow down? Are you really just rushing through and you don't even, you know, want to slow down because you think you don't have the time? How many times did I miss what my body was telling me about dairy? I bet a few more than I noticed. Give yourself the time to listen better and connect the dots if necessary. And step number four, game plan. You need a game plan for decision-making and next steps. You have to appreciate that some things your body tells you might be serious. Some things might be not, but you need to understand what's going on, right? Even if it's not a serious thing, it needs to be understood, How do you even define serious? Are you taking your age into context? Do you ignore stuff when you don't know what professional to talk to about it? Do you know how to find the professionals you need? Are you connected that way? You don't need all the answers now, of course, but thinking it through a bit more, it can't hurt, especially in midlife. Now, I found a great overview article in WebMD that I'll link to in the show notes. It reviews all kinds of things, including rest, burnout, when you don't know if it's like something you're feeling is aging or are you injured or are you just sore? Is it something? Is it not something? Has your appetite changed? That kind of stuff. All kinds of other things that you might get confused about if you take the time to notice. (laughs) You have to notice first and then have thoughts about it. So this article will just help you navigate how to decide what to do with body information and clues. Now, it's a it's not a deep, deep article, but it's something to just set the context for you. You don't know what you don't know, but it's even harder when you aren't listening and using what your body is trying to tell you. 
So those are the four essential steps to listen to your midlife body better. Awareness, trust, pause, and game plan. It's a huge topic, but this is a great start to you cranking up the volume and interest in what your amazing body has to say to you. If you aren't listening, nobody is, right? Okay, that's what I have for you. That's it for this episode. As you know, my focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck, clear, and excited about your life again. If you want to get unstuck faster, there's no better mechanism, no better way when you know you're meant for more like this to move forward with a community of women just like you. I know what you're thinking. I don't know what my passion is. I know I'm meant for more. I'm so stuck. I'm running out of time. (laughs) I've been there. I get it. I would love to be able to help you find that thing you're looking for. I want to invite you to check out the Women in the Middle Academy. It's my six-month coaching program where you get all the support you need to apply what you're learning here in the podcast. But more importantly, you get clear about what you want so you don't have regrets. Don't waste another second feeling stuck. Book your momentum call and we'll have a quick chat. Head over to www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. For show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 261. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.